0: uh okay thank you also very much for coming to prayer meeting god bless you for taking the time effort and energy uh to come to prayer meeting brother Alstocks, pray for the alstocks i should have mentioned they're having their annual alstock reunion in west virginia where they make their famous apple butter <laughs> that sounds like fun i think brother wilson wish he were there and nah, i just get <laughs> uh, i wish i were there okay uh, but just pray for uh Uh, for our wonderful time uh, uh, for them. And uh, so, uh, anyhow, what it is, uh, I started a series, uh, now not Diamonds from Deuteronomy, you remember that, that was 2006, but I started a series last year, Gems from Jeremiah. So, I'd like you to turn, if you would please, and open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 3. And Jeremiah chapter 3, and... uh, Last time, actually, uh, uh, I believe in July that I preached uh, from Jeremiah 3, so we'll continue our study here, and uh, would you look with me? I'm going to begin at verse 15, uh, sort of a little bit of a review, and then um, just remembered that uh, the the Lord promised to give us, uh, well, He promises to give His people, in verse 15, just real quickly in review, I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. Now we realize in the context, of course, Jeremiah, of course, was a prophet to Judah in 722 BC, before Jesus was born. The Assyrians came down and they more or less captured or uh, the 10 tribes in the north, which is also known as Israel and uh, in 722. Now about 130 years later so sadly the same thing was going to be happening to judah and the little tribe of benjamin that's called the southern kingdom and jeremiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom i have to understand that they they had the history already that sadly uh, a foreign nation had come and had destroyed uh, the you know the 10 tribes in the north and scattered them abroad carried them away captive uh, of course, we have uh, dear Hezekiah taking a stand against the Babylonians, but Jeremiah's whole plea, we call him the weeping prophet. And uh, he wept because they never listened to him. They never obeyed God through Jeremiah. And some would say, you know, I think he's a failure. He was not a failure. He succeeded because 2,600 years later, we have the word of God that Jeremiah wrote down that the Holy Spirit of God worked in the heart of Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote, Jeremiah, he wrote Lamentations, and many conservative scholars believe that he edited 1st and 2nd Kings, which originally was one book. And folks, he was successful because he obeyed God. And I know sometimes you might get depressed and you might get down and out and you might get sad because you witness the people, you live for people, you pray for people and you don't see results. I want to tell you something. Results are God's hands. Our goal, our desire, our purpose is to obey God. And we leave the results with God. It's wonderful to pe- see people saved. It's wonderful to pe- see people grow spiritually and become more like Christ. That's our goal. That's our purpose. That's what our existence is. We want people to know Christ and to encourage them to walk with the Lord. That's what it's about tonight, we're going to emphasize. But our goal, our purpose is to tell people about the Lord Jesus, that they can be saved. Our goal is to encourage people to walk with God and to go by the Bible. And we have a wonderful example in Jeremiah, although uh, although uh, worldly speaking, I guess secular speaking, he wasn't successful because they never listened to him. But he was successful because he listened to God, and he did what God said. And that should always encourage you and I. So God says, you know what, I'm gonna give you pastors, I'm gonna give you shepherds, he says, that will be according to my own heart. And we looked at the fact that the shepherds, we think of Psalm 23, probably the best known portion of Scripture other than John 3:16, where. We find, we find that the shepherd is presiding. A good and godly shepherd is present. He's personal. He's providing. He's protecting. And he's perpetual. And that's the kind of uh, shepherds that, that we pastors want to be. We want to be your friend. We want to be personal. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. And by the way, one-third of the New Testament is warning. Is warning. And sometimes we have to tell you to be careful of things, be careful of philosophies, and be careful of difficulties that, that you face. And one and wonderful example of Brother Farrell on Sunday night sharing with us how, how, how do you handle a trial like cancer? How do you handle an illness? And we all face them. We all face difficulties. And uh, we want to face them in a way that honors and pleases God and, and, helps, and helps other people too. All right, well, as I read verses 16 through 25, I don't know how far we'll get tonight, uh, but I want you to please, as I read this, and you just follow with me in the Bible, you can stay seated because it's more of a Bible study. Um, I want you to ask yourself this question. What does God want his people to do? What does God want his people to do? Verse 16, it says, and it shall come to pass, when ye be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, saith the Lord, that they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And remember that represented the presence of the Lord. Neither shall it come into mind, neither shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done any anymore. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered into it. To Jerusalem, uh, I'm sorry, and all nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of the Lord. To Jerusalem, neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land to the north, and I have given you for inheritance unto your father. But I said, How shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the the nations? And I said, Thou shalt call me my father, and shalt not turn away from me. Surely as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord A voice was heard upon the high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way. They have forgotten the Lord their God. Return, ye backsliding children, and I will heal your backslidings. Behold, we will come unto thee, for thou art the Lord our God. Truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and for the multitude of the mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. For shame hath devoured the the labor of our fathers from our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame, and our confusion covereth us. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers from our youth, even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Let's pray, shall we, and ask God's blessing as we look into his word tonight. Father, I thank you so much for these dear folks that have taken the time, effort, and energy to come out to pray with and for each other. And Lord, I pray your special blessing upon them, Lord. And I ask that you would help us to learn your word tonight and apply it in our hearts and lives. I pray your special blessing upon the AWANA program and also the parenting series. And I pray for the Elstocks to have a wonderful, happy, joyful, blessed family reunion as well. Thank you so much for Pastor Elstock and his study of your word. Where every time he preaches or teaches, we learn something new from your truth. And we thank you for him and for his dear wife, Susan, and dear family. We pray now that you would just bless our time together. And we praise you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I wish I had the real thing with me tonight, but this actually happened, oh, I'm going to say, maybe eight or ten years ago. All right? Right here, right here. And uh, I had, no, I didn't have Reba, but I had my dog Buddy. I had him here in Elementary Chapel. And uh, every year, I bring my dog one time in chapel. It was, I brought Caleb, my black lab, I brought Buddy, we believe he was a cross between a Biggle and a Boxer. We believe his daddy was a Boxer, his mama was a Biggle. He was all mixed up. But then, <laughs> true story, we don't know for sure. Then you have Reba, Blue Tick, Blue, Blue Tick, Biggle. But I remember specifically with Buddy, bringing Buddy here, and I had, I sat here, and I had Buddy over here, like this. And the children were all looking at Buddy. But I noticed something about Buddy. He was looking. He looked at the children, and he started shaking. They scared him. Now, you have, now you have to understand, now, this is a dog that killed 28 groundhogs for me. You know? <laughs> One draw. True story. In eight years. Yeah, in eight years, he killed 20. And, and, and he's, he scared all these little. And I now you have to understand a viewpoint of a dog. He knows they're people, but he's thinking, how come they're so small? <laughs> no, no, I mean, no, really, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's a lot, he doesn't know that many children, you know what I'm saying? You have to look, think of a dog's viewpoint, okay? But, but, I, but I noticed that he was shaken and out of my natural thing, I went like this and I, to put my arm around Buddy. And what did Buddy do? He went like this. He went like this. You see, the Bible says... Draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. That's either way. And tonight, a very simple fact is we must always remember this, that God wants to be close to you. But do you want to be close to God? See, God wants to be close to his people. He wants to be close to his people. And so we see here, as we we see here, so let's look at this. We're going to see the promises the perversions, and the pleading. Uh, First of all, if you notice with me, please, verse 16, where we find the regathering. And this is talking about the future. It is talking about what's going to happen. Now, we believe with all of our hearts that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be reigning a thousand years upon this earth. And uh, He is going to be ruling from Jerusalem. And notice verse uh, uh, 16 and 17 where we have this regathering. Now, it's in the future, yes. Notice what the Bible says. And it shall come to pass when you be multiplied and increased in the land in those days, they of the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Now, you're familiar with the ark of the covenant. Remember, Yusuf was actually, uh, was actually uh, sadly killed because he didn't handle it correctly. When David brought, David had a desire, he wanted to do right, but you got to do it God's way. That represented the presence of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind, shall they remember it, neither shall they visit it, neither shall that be done anymore. Why don't you need the Ark of the Covenant? Here it is. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall gather unto it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart, of their evil heart. So, we find here, and Zechariah actually says, the Lord himself will be king of all the earth, all the earth. So, that's a promise. Now, you might ask, uh, what's going on here? Why would just seem Jeremiah, and many times the prophets will throw in something that's far in the future? It might be, uh, might be close by, but it might be far in the future. Why is that? Well, you see, future truths provide us with present motivations to live for God now. Future truths. Now, what I'd like you to do is you turn to 2 Peter. Would you turn there with me, please, to 2 Peter chapter 3 and and beginning at verse 8, where we're going to see what's going to happen in the future has an influence and motivates me now. We know that the Lord, we know we're going to heaven. Thank the Lord. But it prepares us right now. I, 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 once, I just read this past week that Jesus prepares heaven for us, and now he's preparing us for heaven, you know? And that's what it's all about. But Peter's writing to believers that literally were being fled to the lions. They were literally being used as human torches. They were literally uh, being persecuted and killed for, for their faith, for their trust in the Lord. Um, uh, but he says, look, it's not always going to be this way. I'm going uh, to guarantee you, but in Second Peter 3, notice the verse 8 through 13. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. But the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. This is probably one of the best verses that we know. As mon- some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens shall pass away with great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? So how should we behave now? Be godly. Be biblical, looking for and hastening unto the coming day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. So, knowing these, this is going to happen in the future, we don't know when. We know it's going to happen. Right now, you and I should be living for Christ right now. We don't know when Jesus is coming back, but we want to be ready for Him. We want to be pleasing Him and doing what we know we need to be doing. And then if you look, so we find here the regathering, but what about the reuniting? Notice with me, please, the reuniting. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. In other words, The ten tribes in the north, the uh, two tribes in the south, they will be gathered together out of the land of the north to the land given for an inheritance unto your father. But notice verse 19 with me. But I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the host of nations? And I said, thou shalt call me my father and shall not turn away from me. What is this speaking of? Well, it's speaking about not only restoring God's people, we think the ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, but also restoring not only the people, but our relationship with God, our relationship. God wants a relationship with us. With us, This is what He desires for us. I'd like to read a couple verses here from some of the other prophets about the Lord. In Malachi 1.6, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If ye then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts, O priest that defy, my, despise my name? And ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? And then a little bit later Malachi says, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? You think of uh, Father, uh, the Lord is our Father, is God Himself is our greatest authority. God Himself is our greatest authority. But also, He's our greatest aid. In other words, at the same time, he is our greatest friend. And you remember the disciples when they taught, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, you may have grown up in a, in a liturgical church like my wife and I, and we would say this prayer every week. Now, I'm not putting that down. I don't mean uh, in any way to uh, you know, be derogatory about it, but it's not really meant to be a prayer that you just pray all the time. But in other words, it's the way we pray. It's that spirit and attitude of what we pray. But how does that prayer start out? You probably all know. After this manner, therefore, pray ye our what? Our Father, okay? You see, He has absolute, He is our absolute authority. He's our absolute authority. And, and <clears throat> what, what a joy it is. Now, I have a couple things here. I just want to go quickly. Uh, uh, okay, you want to... Uh, Connor, you want to go ahead and go to the first ones I told you about? Oh, now, okay, that's now sort of funny, Snoopy. But you remember last time I was with you, Charles Schultz? I showed that video about Charles Schultz, okay? And he could have quit. He could have thrown in the towel. His own yearbook rejected his cartoons, okay, his own, in, in, in high school, you know? Oh, no, they're no good. And other places reject them. Disney rejected them. But Charles says, Schultz said, I like to draw so Charles Schultz made a character. Hmm, Charlie Brown. And what was Charlie Brown? A lovable loser. And Charles Schultz said, hey, that's me. I'm going to draw myself. <laughs> no. Okay. He says, and his best friend, Snoopy. <laughs> no, okay. But, but, any, but we're all blessed because a man didn't quit. See what I'm saying? And you and I are blessed because Jeremiah didn't quit. And so as we see here, even though uh, the maps here, the Babylonian... Uh, the Babylonian uh, yeah, there you go. The Babylonian Empire. And then eventually keep going. It, it, there's a couple more. See, I'm like Pastor Elstock. using the maps. <laughs> but, no. Okay. Oh, that, well, that didn't come up too good. Can you, click, can you make it clear? Oh, is that? Okay. Well, anyhow, that whole area becomes the Babylonian Empire. Okay. I have to ask Brother Elstock a technical thing. Okay. One more map. Let's see if that's better. Oh, that's a little better. Okay. Okay. You, you see how the Assyrians, in other words, carried away captives, and then eventually the Babylon. That's where Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and eventually Jeremiah, ironically, ends up in Egypt. In, that, up in Egypt, but the next slide I want you to show. Okay. Okay. Anybody know what that is? Okay, it's a 1931 Ford sedan. Okay, this is the car that I grew up in. It was my grandfather's car. He had it for 31 years. He died in 1962. And this is the car I grew up in. This is the car I would ride in. And you know one thing I loved? I loved being with my grandpa. I loved being with my grandpa. And you know what he loved? He loved driving his car. And he never had to, he could walk to work. See, he could walk to work. It was less than half a mile to work. But he had this. and. and uh, and I'm, I'm thinking of that. I say, you know, I just loved to be with Pop-Pop. I just loved it. I just, I just you know, and and, uh, uh, the, the, and you know, this is very similar to the car. Well, it is. It's the same kind of car that he had that I grew up in. And, and I'm thinking, and I thank the Lord, but you know, I'm thinking like, isn't it wonderful to be with God? I mean, I'm thankful for my grandfather and and uh, I just what a joy that he brought to me, you know? And, and uh, when he died in 1962, I was in fifth grade, I was 10 years old, and I cried for three days straight. I was in my classroom, and my cousin's, you know, I was in the lunch lunchroom, and I cried, and because he was like my dad to me, because his, his son didn't want me, but I'm glad he did. And, uh, and, uh, and my and what's wrong with Ronnie? And I oh his grandfather died, and I was I couldn't stop crying. My mom came into my room and said, you know you're making too much noise. And I said, okay, well, what are you gonna do? But you know what? Because I miss my grandfather. He and, and he by the way he was strict with me too. <laughs> he probably. He said, I'm, I spoiled my son. I'm not spoiling my grandson. <laughs> no, I sort of found out the hard way. But <laughs> I'm, I'm surmising this. Right? That's what I, but I, I loved him, you know. I wanted to be with him. I wanted to be with him in the car or something like that. And, you know, the, the irony about this is just 78 years later. Okay, go to the next one. Next slide. Hmm. What kind of car is this? Ford. What color is it? Ford sedan. It's a black Ford sedan, 2009. That's not my car. That's my grandfather's great-grandson. That's my son's car. Isn't that isn't funny? I mean, when you think about it, it's probably about the same size too, okay? Isn't that Interesting. Seventy-eight years, I just find it, that, that's fascinating, I think, <laughs> that kind of thing. Now, what's funny is, if you, now you, you see this, now, can you share the last slide? Okay, this is the back of my son's car, okay? And he has a little thing here at the top, all right? Uh, you see that H-E is greater? It's greater than I. Right. That means he must increase, I must decrease. Isn't that interesting? okay. He has a little sticker. And then he has something else there, bumper sticker. Anybody see it? Can make it out? What's it say? Anybody? Reagan? Yeah, well, Reagan, what? 84. That's what it's that's on my head. It's a 2009. So he gets all kinds of comments on it. Reagan 84. I kid you not. When I was, I'm not sure where he got. I kid you not. But I remember in 1984, I had a first grader, true story, came out, his name is Harvey, Harvey Williams. And he said, Pastor, my dad says that if Walter Mondale becomes president, he won't be able to sleep at night. <laughs> and I said, Harvey, same with me. No, I
1: didn't say that.
0: I said, well, we'll just have to trust the Lord, Harvey. I'm serious, you think I'm kidding you. That actually happened. My dad says, <laughs> so anyway, well, Harvey's prayer was answered, <laughs> yeah, so anyway. Yeah. But we just, okay, thank you. But we say all that here to just say, isn't it wonderful to have God as our Heavenly Father, as our Heavenly Father. And as we continue on, we find here, sadly, the the perversions, okay, here we have the corruption. If you notice with me, please, that where it says here, uh, the corruption here, Surely, as in verse 20, and then I'd like you to go back to verses 7 and 8. Surely, as a wife treacherously departeth from her husband, so have ye dealt treacherously with me, O house of Israel, saith the Lord. And then go back to verses 7 and 8. And I said, after she hath done these things, turn thou unto me, but she returneth not. And her treacherous sister, Judah, saw it. See, the sad thing is, is that, that, judah knew what happened to her sister the northern kingdom and sadly that was a negative example but she should have said hey that happened to israel that can happen to us and i saw when all the causes whereby backsliding israel committed adultery I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce yet her treacherous sister judah feared not but went and played the harlot also. Isn't that a sad commentary? And folks, we can learn by people's negative examples what to do and what not to do. Hopefully, and I, when I speak to young people especially, uh, and I said, now how many of your old, older brothers, or your, you have younger brothers or sisters? And you know, sometimes, of course, some hands go up. And I said, you know, you have to understand something. Your brother and your sister your older brother and sister, uh, your younger ones, will never say this to you, but they 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 look up to you. You remember, if you had older brother, I looked up. I had an older brother and an older sister, and I, and I looked up to them. I loved them and, and uh, I cared about them, and um, I looked up to them. You know, I remember my older brother, and he went off in the Navy, and I was in uh, in high school, and I, I remember praying that. That God would, you know, he, he went off to, you know, he, the saying was, uh, uh, it's not just a job, it's an adventure. He joined the Navy. And he went around the world twice. He went to Spain. He went to Australia. He went to Spain. The only thing is, uh, they said, okay, but... You have to spend nine months off the coast of north vietnam (laughs) that was a little rough there but but i do remember praying for him lord protect him uh protect him and god you know praise the lord god did protect him and then i had an older sister and what a blessing she was um i i can't thank the lord enough for my my sister um i remember one of the dearest things that she ever done ever did for me i was about 10 years old she was like 14 and she said, ronnie i'm so sorry i don't have money to give you to get a christmas present but i made you something i made you something what do you think i remember and and she became uh well, let's just say she became well off okay, later in life, and would give me real nice, fancy, uh, dress shirts, you know, for Christmas and things, and I appreciated that. But what do you think I remember most? The handmade thing that she made for me. See what I'm saying? You know. And um, so, but the influence that you can have on people is amazing. It's amazing. And the greatest influence that you can have is to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be near to God, and he'll be near to you. Delight yourself of the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Well, the corruption, and then let's look now as we see not only the corruption, but also as as we, as, as we look at this, <clears throat> we see the confusion. Verse 21. Notice with me, please, verse 21, the confusion, where we find it says, a voice was heard upon high places, weeping and supplications of the children of Israel, for they have perverted their way and have forgotten the Lord their God. And then skip down with me, if you would, please, the verses uh, 24 and 25. For shame hath devoured the labor of our fathers from our youth, their flocks and their herds, their sons and their daughters. We lie down in our shame and our confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God. We and our fathers from our youth, even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. Yes, their confusion. How does this happen? How does that confusion happen? Well, because people are double-minded. They said, I'm going to... You know, I'll, I'll have one foot in the world and one foot for the Lord. I'll be divided. A double-minded man, may I remind you, in James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is what? Is unstable in some of his ways? All his ways. It, exactly, Rob. All his ways. Be, so, what it is, we have to be sold out completely to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I mentioned my black lab, Caleb, and uh, I. Uh, well, what a great dog he was! I love that dog. Um, and he was—he was a. You know, his original owners sadly were killed on, on a car in a car crash, and I ended up with him um, by accident, so to speak, because he was found um, injured. Uh, he wasn't in the car, by the way, but a few days. Uh, and uh, but. Um, I said, you know, if I ever have a male dog, I want to call him Caleb, because what does it say about Caleb? He fully or what? Completely followed the Lord. And I thought, what a great admonition to myself. Am I fully or completely following the Lord? And uh, he, he, he was a wonderful dog. In fact, ironically, I couldn't get him out of the car, could I, honey? He'd stay in the car, because I think he realized the last time he saw his original owners, they went away in a car. He said, I'm not leaving this car. I want to be with my master, you know. And uh, I was just so blessed. But along that line, what does it say? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, this is in James also, God resists the proud, but it gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll do what? He will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And that same verse says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, the outward, and purify your hearts, the inward, ye double-minded. Ye double-minded. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In other words, we have to be completely committed to the Lord Jesus Christ to avoid backsliding, to avoid going backwards fact, if I had a title for the message, I would say backsliding versus hiking with God. Hiking with God. You know, Enoch, it says he walked with God. Noah, it says he walked with God. And are you and I walking with God? It's sort of more of a hike, isn't it, when you think about it? You know, sometimes things are okay, going pretty well. The ground is level. The ground is easy then sometimes it's a little uh, a little rocky a little tricky you got to tread you got to be but what are you doing you're keeping you're keeping on keeping on aren't you you're treading you're hiking that's what the christian life is it's a hike it's not just a walk not a walk in the park that'd be nice a walk in the park It's nice to walk in a park, by the way. (laughs) But but, uh, uh, I'd probably prefer that. My son and daughter-in-law, they're hikers, you know. They live in East Tennessee. They live in the mountains. Um, And I've hiked with them, and uh, believe me, it's challenging. It's good exercise, but it's challenging. All right. So, but then he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, in the sight of God, and he shall lift you up and he shall lift you up. Well, let's go onward. So here, on, So, in other words, we find here, uh, uh, what what are we to do about all this? Well, it says here in the end of verse 25, it says, We lie down in our shame, and our confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers, from our youth, even unto this day, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. It begins with Confession. It begins with confession. Now, you're all familiar with 1 John 1, It says, where it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and this truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, in other words, it says, Lord, and and what is going to be God's response to that? Well, uh, in a sense, look at just verse 22 tells us a, a response. What does he say? Here's a command. He says, return. There's the pleading. This is a command. Return. Get back to me. You see, God wants to be close to you. He wants to be close to me. He wants to draw nigh to God. He'll draw nigh to you. Delight yourself on the Lord; He'll give you the desires of your heart. This is what we want. This is what we uh, want to be. We want to be close to God. We want to be close to God, and, and uh, He is willing to to have us uh, accept us just where we're at. What what He wants, okay? It's interesting. that Spurgeon said this about this verse. He said he says, "Return, ye backsliding children." I noticed that he does not say, "Return, ye." penitent children. He pictures you in the worst colors, yet he says, return ye backsliding children. I notice also that he's not saying, heal your wounds first and then come back to me, but he says, return ye backsliding children with all your backslidings unhealed, and I will heal your backslidings. Isn't that wonderful? In other words, we, uh, we just come, to, just like that hymn, we always sing it for salvation, but that's the way we come every moment of our lives to God just as we are. Say, Lord, I'm not right with you. I have sinned against the just and holy God. And when we confess it, we admit it. We get right with God. And, and, and what, is it, what is his response? Well, his response is the, prodigal, the, the response of the prodigal uh, son's uh, dad. I'll read part of that where it says about the prodigal. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough And despair, and I perish with hunger. I will rise and go to what my what father, and say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he is yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to him, Servants, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. And and, and is alive. He was lost and is found. Whether that's talking about salvation or whether that's the, the principle of salvation or also the principle of restoration with God. God wants to be close to you. He wants to be close to me. And may I say, you did tonight what you need to do to be close to God. You came to prayer meeting. You came to prayer meeting. You know what? You made God happy. I'm serious. He said, what do you mean? Well, you obey God. Pray without ceasing. And every give, we give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Pray without ceasing. That's a command of Scripture. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, what? Men always ought to pray and not to what? Faint. Don't quit. Don't throw in the town. Ask me for help. Ask me for guidance. You're my child. You're my son. You're my daughter. I'm your heavenly father through my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God loves you. He loves me. He loves us, children. He wants to be close to us. You know, I, can you put the, my son's car back on the 2009? Can you find that, Connor? Now, here's my son, okay? He almost has 200,000 miles on this car. It's hard to believe. It's 2009. But, you know, a couple times a week, you know what I do? I call my son while he's going to work? He almost has a 50 minute trip to work. As I come here, I talk about 10 or 15 minutes. You know what? I love to talk to my son. I love it. I love it. Probably my wife, well, the Lord, and then my wife, and then my well daughter and son. I better say I love to talk to them both equally. <laughs> I'll get in trouble. I don't say, <laughs> but, uh, but I do. I because I, I want to hear about them. You see what I'm saying? I want to hear him. Now, I want to, I'm going to give you a little practical thing here. I'm preaching now, all right? I want to tell you something that's very important. Please, whatever you do, don't drive and talk on your cell phone. I beg you. I tell him, in other words, and look, I, I have a car. It's not a super fancy car, okay? It's maybe a little teeny upscale. This is an average person's car, all right? I'm going to be blunt with you. And it has the thing through the radio. It's a hands-free device, See what I'm saying? I, I, I'd be wrong if I didn't tell you not to do that. You're obeying the law. You're not supposed to be on your cell phone driving. You see what I'm saying? You're supposed to use a hands-free device that goes through the radio, okay? I, I tell him now, Ben, you're not holding your cell phone, are you? Driving? No, Dad, I'm no, Dad, i no, That's good. Well, I wish I could see. Actually, I'd probably FaceTime him and see if he is. <laughs> but anyhow. But 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 the thing is is I, I I love talking to him. I love talking to him. You don't think God doesn't love hearing from you? He loves hearing you pray because you're acknowledging who he is. He's all-knowing, he's all powerful, he's all present. And we're praying, praying for people, Lord, for wisdom, and, and Dave and I, Dave Livergood is my new prayer partner. And, and, and we're praying for, for the hurricane, the, the, for wisdom and protection for people. Is God down there? Yeah. God's in control, but we're praying for wisdom and protection. So when, 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 here it is in modern technology. I, can, I, I love talking to my son. But you know what we always do? We always end our conversation and we talk to God. He prays sometimes. And I pray sometimes. You know what I'm saying? That's the greatest joy in all the world. Praying with your children. Praying to God. And you folks, God bless you. Because you're doing what's right. God's, and I'm going to say God bless you and God has blessed you, and God will continue to bless you because you're doing what is right. God honors, as my wife always says, God honors obedience, and you're obeying God. It doesn't give you joy, doesn't it? Sure, it's, it's hard, it's work, it's effort, it's energy. I realize that God will bless. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the Word of God. Thank you that we can call you our Heavenly Father, Thank you that you desire for us to be close to you. And I pray that, Lord, please help us to always desire to be close to you as you desire to be close to us. Thank you for these, dear folks. Continue to bless with a good evening, safety on a traveling home in the week ahead. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Lord bless you. If
2: you have a Bible, please open to the book of Acts chapter 8 this morning, Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, want to follow along, there's one on the bench there in front of you. We are in a new series entitled Real Joy in Tough Times. In Acts 16, we found the Apostle Paul and Silas singing at midnight after they had been accused and arrested and beaten and imprisoned in stocks. How in the world could they be singing? Well, you see, for Christians, real joy is found in the Lord and not in our circumstances, no matter how difficult they may be. When you focus on your circumstances, you will feel defeated. You will feel discouraged. But when you focus on the Lord, you will give Him praise, and you can count your blessings. Next, we saw real joy in salvation. We met a man who had lost all hope. He was in total despair, and while he was literally making an attempt to take his life, Paul intervened. And the Philippian jailer went from the darkest of nights and into the light of salvation. And the Bible says he rejoiced. The Holy Spirit was at work in his conscience. As you see in your notes there, uh, what did the Spirit do? He convicted him of sin and he drew him to Christ. And when the Holy Spirit works in your conscience, it works both as an umpire and a coach. As an umpire, when the Spirit is at work, the conscience shouts, you're guilty. But also, as as a coach, our conscience whispers, God will forgive you. And this man fell on his knees. He said, what must I do to be saved? Paul answered, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Simple question, simple answer. Now, if you are not absolutely sure that you are going to heaven, it may be because you have not yet been born again. That can change today. During this worship hour, you can accept God's invitation and receive Jesus Christ as your very own Lord and Savior and become a true follower of Jesus Christ. Now, the first thing he did was was get baptized by immersion. And if you as a Christian refuse baptism, it may be because you have not truly been born again. Not my words, but the words of Jesus. Jesus. Look what he says in Matthew chapter 10, bottom of page 1 in your notes. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. On page 2 of your notes, you see there that Jesus Christ does not have secret followers. You can start out that way, but you can't stay that way. Even Joseph of Arimathea Made his faith public, and that's what baptism is. Baptism is your public confession before men. And yet many refuse baptism. Why? Why people refuse baptism? Uh, I've had people give me the answer that I am afraid of water. And that might be a legitimate one. I had someone tell me yesterday that they were afraid of water. They, 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 their head has gone underwater one time in their adult life, and that was when they got baptized. Why? Because the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. And God gave that lady the grace to overcome her fear. Another reason people don't get baptized is, I don't want people to see me with wet hair. <laughs> What's the problem with that? That's pride. That's pride. But God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And here's one. I don't want to get baptized because... And you can fill in the blank. Uh, You can fill in the blank. Another said, Lord, I will follow thee, but... But Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is, is fit for the kingdom of God. Once you're saved, the first step is baptism, and the next thing that happens is you you begin to tell someone what happened to you. You tell someone you love. You tell family. You tell friends. You even tell strangers what God did for you, and that brings real joy in sharing the gospel. Would you stand with me, please? As I read from Acts chapter 8, and we're going to see how God brought real joy when the gospel was shared, even when there was persecution. Look with me, Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death, the death of Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and that were lame were healed. Now watch verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. Would you say that with me? And there was great joy in that city. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the great joy that you bring to our hearts when we get saved. Thank you for the great joy that comes to us and others when we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray now you'd quiet our hearts, help us to focus upon the Word of God and the message you have for us. If there be one in this auditorium that knows not Christ, may the Spirit of God do that work of conviction and draw them to yourself. Father, I pray for each Christian. I pray for Christians that don't have joy. I pray today they would see they would see this great truth and great principle they can practice and begin to experience joy in their own life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to show you a picture of John and Mary Friesen from many, many years ago, my wife's parents. When my wife Jody was only a baby, her parents were on a journey to find the Lord, They even finished a Bible study course through the mail, and yet still believed in old order Mennonite work salvation. One afternoon while Mary was still at work, Jody's dad, John, was at home watching their baby daughter, and a knock came at the door, and it was a local pastor and a visiting evangelist. And he invited them in. And as they were talking, the evangelist asked John Freeson this question, Do you know for certain if you died today that you would go to heaven, or do you have some doubt? And John said, No, I don't know. I don't know. But I want to know. A few minutes later, Jody's dad kneeled in the living room by the coffee table and asked Jesus Christ to become his Lord and Savior while Jody was a baby back asleep in the crib in her room. I mean, he was so overjoyed. And an hour later, an hour later, Mary, his wife, came home, and she took one look at him, and she said, what happened to you? And he said, Mary, the pastor and an evangelist came by, and I found what we've been looking for. I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, now what happened next has impacted Valley Forge Baptist Temple for the last 22 years. What happened next? What happened was John Freeson, who had been saved for one hour, led his first convert to Christ, his wife, and Mary got saved. And you know, they began to grow in the Lord. They got baptized and began to share their faith, and he became a a junior church director, and then he became a deacon, and then he became an assistant pastor and a pastor, and, and just a few years later, something else happened. In fact, 10 years later, Jody's mom led Jody to the Lord. Here she is. Now that she's gone in the other class, I can say, wasn't she cute? (laughs) I couldn't say that in the first service. Wasn't wasn't she cute? And she got saved. And notice notice what Paul said to the Philippians. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And all four of their kids, all four of their kids uh, are saved and walking with the Lord today. There is real joy in sharing the gospel. Now, the word joy appears 187 times in the Bible. Rejoicing or rejoice appears 266 times. But the, but the phrase great joy, you're only going to find it 12 times in the New Testament. Great joy, only 12 times. First time is when the wise men are in Jerusalem and they're looking for baby Jesus, the king of the world, and they see the star over the house in Bethlehem, and there was great joy. You're going to find great joy the 33 years later at the end of uh, the life of Christ, and he has been crucified, and he rises again and on a resurrection Sunday, the angel shows up to the ladies, and they had great joy! And you know when Jesus comes back a second time, we are all going to have great joy. And so the theme here is every time Jesus shows up, there is great joy. You find the phrase twice in the book of Acts, and we find it once here. And the first thing I want you to see is that that sharing the gospel will bring persecution. It will bring persecution. Yes, God brings great joy, but I want you to know there's going to be a time uh, of persecution, Last Sunday night, I preached about the stoning of Stephen, a dynamic deacon. And the only way Saul of Tarsus could silence him was by killing him. And they did that in Acts 7, verses 58 to 60. Uh, Jesus had already given his disciples instructions of what to do when persecution comes. He gave them two things. Here's the first thing He said, But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. So he said, if they persecute you, just go to the next city. You you find someone that will listen. And the second thing he said is, I want you to rejoice. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, what are we to do? Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Matthew 5. And so they mourned the loss of Stephen and they made great lamentation. Verse 2, later Paul would write, yea, yes, we sorrow when we lose our loved ones. We sorrow, but we sorrow not as others who have no hope. Why? Because of a reunion. There's coming a reunion for those of us who are saved and have lost our loved ones. Now look on page 3 of your notes. Notice also that persecution... It's going to come, but persecution results in a greater witness. It results in a greater witness for the Lord. And so, persecutions, they just boiled over again and again over 300 years in the Roman Empire, and they did awful things to Christians, awful things to Christians. In 197 A.D., a man by the name of Tertullian got saved He wrote an apologetic to to defend Christianity, and there you see it in your notes what he said. He said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And yes, it's true, and you here today are proof that that's true. Because now, 21 centuries later, halfway around the world, here we are, worshiping the Lord Jesus. Persecution did not stamp out Christianity. Persecution expanded Christianity, and you here today are proof and evidence of that. And so you just need to expect that's part of it. When we share our faith, there's going to be a time of persecution. Not everyone is going to like what you and I have to say about Jesus, but they're going to remember it. In the next slide here, we see this... uh, this man, he's at the bus station, his shirt says, "Let's talk about Jesus." It guarantees me an entire seat all, all to myself, right? <laughs> You know, some people aren't going to want to hear what you have to say, but that's a pretty minor persecution that we are facing, isn't it? Now the third thing I want you to see here is that sharing our faith brings great joy. It brings great joy. Uh, we share our faith. there's going to be persecution. Uh, when persecution comes, there's going to be a greater witness. But here's the good part. Sharing our faith brings great joy. Now, before we see what, what Philip did, I want to say a word about helping others. And this is kind of kind of be the foundation of what I'm about to say. So, look with me in your notes about the benefits of helping others. The benefits of helping others. Helping others helps yourself. Would you say that? Helping others Helps yourself. A 2016 study published in Psycho, Psychosomatic Medicine, Journal of Biobehavioral Medicine, found that giving had greater benefits than receiving. Partip- participants in the study who gave showed what, what did they show? Reduced stress. They showed increased feelings of reward in their brain imaging. Do you know that this research points to the conclusion that when you help others, they said you are also helping yourself? I put it in a box. Brain imaging, proof that the Bible is true because the Lord Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is how God wired us. And so now today we're discovering that it literally our brain, our brain lights up in a certain way. And so helping others helps yourself. But notice also helping others eases depression. Helping others eases depression. Do you know anybody depressed? Maybe it's the person looking in the mirror, right? you know anybody depressed? Family or friends? How are you going to help them? This is how. Uh, how does... Helping others ease depression. Number one, helping others changes your focus. A depressed person's thoughts are focusing on themselves. When you help others, you take your focus off yourself and you put it on another. Helping others gives motivation. When you're depressed, even little simple tasks seem difficult. But when you are helping someone else, you're motivated to take action for them. And then thirdly there, helping others prevents isolation. When you are depressed... The tendency is to isolate from family and friends. Do you know what isolation does to your depression? It makes it what? It makes it worse. Helping others means you got to spend time with people. And that's why it's so important to be able to come to church. Now, we had 400 people watching online last week. And if you're shut in or out of state, that's okay. But if you live locally, you need to get out and be with God's people. But if you're at home, you can give online. All right. (laughs) Notice, helping others helps yourself. Look on top of page four. Practicing random acts of kindness has been scientifically proven to have therapeutic value in treating mood disorders like depression. Positive activity interventions like helping someone with groceries, writing a thank you note, or even counting your blessings can serve as an effective and low-cost treatment for depression. I see you like this. This is good. <laughs> now, look at, look at the research on helping others. Research indicates that those who consistently help other people experience less depression, greater calm, fewer pains. I like that one. And better health. They may even live longer. Students, young people, look at this one. Students who perform five acts of kindness a day increase their happiness. Providing support to others decreases harmful stress. Donating money to charity boosts the feel-good part of the brain as revealed in brain imaging research. That means those of us who who gave our tithes and offerings and our faith-promised missions offering today, science tells us it lights up part of our brain. It makes us feel better. And Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. So, friends... The science, the science confirms the Bible. But I want you to think this through with me now. If helping others is good for me, and if helping others is good for the people that I help, now, now what, are, what are ways we can help people? The, the smallest little actions of, of, of maybe holding a door for someone, or you come into a line and you let the other person go first, or maybe writing a thank you note, or, or maybe putting some money in a, in a note card, whether it's anonymous or not. And, and uh, our Chosen 300, we give food to the homeless and needy. We're talking about helping people. And you can, you, can, you can help people with kindness. And you can help people with acts of service. And you can help people with money. And you can help people with food. But what is, what is the absolute best thing you can do to help someone else? What is it? Share the gospel with them. You know, you can give them some food, and you can give them some money, and it'll help them for a little time. Oh, but when you share the gospel with them, and you plant, and you plow, and you water, and they get saved, you just help them for what? For all of eternity. But you help them now, too. You help them now, too, because their sins are forgiven, and then their guilt is gone, and then God gives them peace, And he gives them power, he gives them strength, he gives them purpose. So if you want to help someone, you want to be able to share the gospel with them. It's really the best way you can help another person. And what happens is joy comes. Look in verse 5. And so in verse 5, Acts 8, 5, Philip went down. He went down because Jerusalem is high up. He goes north. He went down to Samaria. He left because of the persecution. You notice he didn't quit. He didn't say, oh, I might get persecuted up there too. Oh, uh, they're probably going to be mean to me up there. No, no, no. He didn't quit. He didn't get discouraged. He goes and he preaches Christ. He preaches Christ unto them in verse 5. He becomes a missionary. This guy, was a, he was a deacon. Look how he helped them. In verse 6 and 7, he preaches Christ and, and the people with one accord gave heed to those things that he spoke and, and they saw it, they heard it, the miracles and the demons went out and the, and the lame were able to walk. Now now look at verse 8. What's the result of preaching Christ? There was, say it, great joy. There was great joy in that city. Not just a little bit of joy, not a lot of joy, but Great joy. And if you are missing great joy, here's the secret. Here's the secret. Help someone else. Depression will go away. Help someone else. And great joy will come to your heart. So here's the application. How how can we be a part of this great joy? How can we experience? How can I take Acts chapter 8 and apply it to my life? I mean, right now, today. Here's how. Two points. Number one is support our missionaries. Support our missionaries. Pray for them. Pray for them. On Wednesdays, we give a little insert to the uh, the prayer list and of our missionaries. Uh, we have extra copies. You can pick them up on Sundays. Encourage them. We have two missionary families with us here today. And and coming out tonight, we'll encourage them at 6 o'clock. They're both going to give a report of what God is doing on their field. And then give the faith promise missions. Financially, above your tithes and offering to support them. Now, let me share just a couple of things of of some of the uh, uh, folks that have, like Philip, left our church to go to another place. Jake and Amanda Gersimoff, uh, he, he was in the Coast Guard. He was in the Coast Guard, and now he uh, is in Homer, Alaska, and he's doing a church replant there. And the Sunday that Pastor Joyner was there this summer, uh, Pastor Joyner preached, and Lois, he's in the middle there, Lois, got saved. And all God's people said, all right, uh, you did better than the first service. I mean, there's great joy. Uh, this lady, the the office the left us, and they go there. And by the way, they're watching online. So, hey, Pastor Jake, uh, it's four hours behind us there. And Lois got saved, and that brought great joy to her heart, and it brings great joy to our heart. If it doesn't bring joy to your heart, maybe you're loving the wrong thing. Because if you love God, you're going to love what God loves. Jesus said in Luke chapter 15, he said, when when someone gets saved, there's joy in heaven. And then he said, there's joy in the presence of the angels. I mean, the angels are slapping high fives. When someone gets saved, we should be excited and joyful about that. Don't get this attitude of uh, you sit back there and you fold your arms and, and you hear the prison report and you hear, oh, these people got saved in prison. You say, huh, yeah, I wonder how many of those are really true, true uh, converts, true, true salvation professions. No, no, no. Yeah. Just rejoice that people are trusting Christ. Time and truth will come together. We'll, we'll, uh, God knows who is genuine and who is not. We're just to rejoice in salvation. And so what happens? Well, in the next uh, slide, you see they broke through the ice in Alaska. And you know, that's what you do when you get baptized. You break through the ice, and, uh, and Lois got baptized. What did I say? When you get saved, you get baptized, what's the second thing you do? You tell people, and Lois told someone, I don't have a picture of her, but she brought her friend to the church. And Pastor Jake, he was telling me uh, just last week, he said, you know, he said, uh, I-, I lead the singing. He said, I- I'm an in-the-box kind of a guy, but this lady, I mean, she comes and she sings and she closes her eyes and she puts her hand up. And he said, I'm in the box kind of a guy, but he said, when I lead the singing, it kind of warms my heart that she's singing with all of her heart. Yeah. And then, you gave the missions and Lois got saved. And because you gave the missions, Pastor Brandon and Eileen can start a church in North Carolina. Here's Pastor Brandon and the folks getting baptized at Chapel Hill Baptist, the week week after I preached the uh, charter service there. And here's Peter getting getting baptized in the next slide and and trusted Christ. And the next slide you see Annette. Annette got baptized. Now, uh, you can't tell from the picture, but I want you to know that Annette has throat cancer. Annette can't talk, but Annette can witness. Let me tell you how she does it. So you you talk to Annette, and then she takes her phone, and I mean, just really fast. And then she she replies, and then you can say something, and she does it real quick, and she can reply again. She has throat cancer. She can't talk, but she can still witness. And, And what's your excuse? What's your excuse? But because you gave to missions, Annette got saved. Bobby and Nadia, uh, Nadia Vallette, through our missions program, we can reach people in Uruguay. And by supporting them, you're going to hear tonight, you're going to see the people that have been saved in Uruguay. And then John and Rhonda Lennon. I mean, this is the real John Lennon, All right. The real John Lennon. And and this is the guy that's making a difference. And and he served the Lord there in Paraguay and started churches and they're still thriving with national leadership. And now he's in Ecuador. He and Rhonda reaching people, and because you're faithful giving, you hear testimony about that tonight. But it's not enough just to pray, and it's not enough just to give to missions. God wants us to to experience this great joy ourselves in sharing the gospel. So how can we be a part of the great joy from Acts 8? Number one is support our missionaries. Number two is share our faith one-on-one, one-on-one. So we see it in, in verse 26. God takes Philip away from the great revival in Samaria. And verse 26, the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. He arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all of her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship. He's returning. He's in the chariot. He's reading Isaiah. And the Spirit says, Philip, go near. Join yourself to the chariot. And Philip runs. He runs. And he finds that he's reading the book of the prophet Isaiah. Understand what you're reading. He says, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And he shared about that lamb that Brother Thompson sang about today. Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth, began at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. And you know what happened? What happened is when he gets saved, he got baptized. And then he goes home and he tells people, in, and in North Africa, this one man begins to lead people to Christ, and it went from the hundreds to the thousands to the tens of thousands of people getting saved in North Africa. It's great joy. It's great joy when you share your faith. You want to get over depression? You need to have some great joy. You can do this by passing out tracts. You can do this by sharing your testimony. Right next to the fireplace, I have a sheet on how to write your testimony. The first point is realize the power of your Christian testimony. Yeah. Secondly, you take time to prepare it, and then you use a simple three-point outline to focus on number one, before I trusted Christ, number two, how I became a Christian, number three, how different my life is now. Get the sheet, and you can begin to, to take your testimony and learn how to be able to share it. It gives some things to avoid, like avoid too many details, avoid terms that unsafe people will not understand. They're not going to understand justification and sanctification and all the other Asians. All right? They're good stuff, but don't include that in your testimony. And then learn how to write a 30-second to 2-minute testimony to share it. It's your story. And then a a 5-7-minute to testimony. So you have two testimonies, a shorter and a longer. Now, if you are homebound and cannot get out and about, you can still witness Joan Darnell Came down with cancer after a 20 year bout with cancer. Has a reoccurrence. I went by to pray with Jim and Joan. Jim has been housebound and yet he shares the gospel around the world. How? I asked him to to write it so I could share it with you. And this is what he wrote. In May 2013, Pastor Wendell preached using your talents for God's glory from Colossians 4. In January 2014, as a 66 year old housebound Christian, on disability in a wheelchair for years with a desire to be used by the Lord, I took a five-week training course with global media outreach. I became what GMO calls an online missionary. The ministry gets a a minimum of one million hits a day. The hits are filtered down to the online missionaries. People from all over the world, large cities and small villages, they get on the web And they type in the question, who is God? Who is Jesus? And like Nicodemus, these people ask questions under the cloak of cyber anonymity. And a dialogue is born between the online missionary and those who are seeking the truth about God. Praise God for modern technology, which can be used to further the gospel. And so from a wheelchair, from a wheelchair, housebound, Jim shares the gospel with five people all over the world every day. He probably witnesses to more people than most of our congregation here today. And he's housebound. He's in a wheelchair. I want you to know how how easy this is and how wonderful it is. Don't say, "Ah, I might get embarrassed. No, 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 no. It's so simple. And so on Friday on the way to our sweetheart retreat, I, I took Jody to Anna Marie's for breakfast. How many have been to Anna Marie's? Would you raise your hand? Oh, boy, half of you are in for a treat. I, I let the secret out, all right? They're, they're closed on Monday, but Anna Marie's and Royer's, it's a place for breakfast, and it, it is delicious. And so I go up to the counter to pay the cashier for my breakfast, and, and typically a waiter or waitress, they have a little tag with their name on it. Now, this lady, she's got her T-shirt on, and, and she has, has her name just in like three-inch letters, four-inch letters uh, on her shirt. She's a young lady, probably around 30 or so, and it says, Megan. So what do I say? I have a daughter named Megan, and she turned 21 last week. She had a birthday. And you know what she said to me? She says, 21. 21. Now, now, what does the world think when you turn 21? Okay, this is what this lady said to me. I said, great breakfast. I have a daughter. I love your name. I have a daughter named Megan. She turned 21 last week. And she said, oh, she says, tell your daughter not to drink alcohol. I, I quit. I quit. I said, well, that's great. That's great. Uh, why, uh, uh, how long has it been? She said, I, I've been dry for 120 days. I said, well, that's wonderful. Tell me, tell me, what, uh, why did you stop drinking? She says, oh. She says, I hit rock bottom. Alcohol ruined my life. She says it caused great, great anxiety. It caused great trouble. And it just started, you know, it started when I, I was younger. But she said, I'm free from it. In fact, now I, I speak to people and I tell them how great it is not to drink anymore. Okay, so do you know my background? So what am I gonna say? I got time for 30 second testimony. 30-second testimony, and I say, hey, you know, I, I was raised in an alcoholic home, I, and I, I told in 30 seconds, and my my stepdad was a white-collar drunk, and, and on the way to a bar, he uh, he stopped at a co-worker's home, and he opened the Bible, he said, Paul Jones, you need Jesus Christ in your heart, and he said, no, and he said, I know all about Him, and he said, no, you 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 know about Him up here, but you don't know Him here, and that night, my dad asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior, and he's not had a drop of alcohol in 52 years. So we got something in common. Her name's Megan. My daughter's name's Megan. Uh, she quit drinking. My dad quit drinking. So, what do I do? I said, We have a ministry called Reformers Unanimous, and they meet when? Friday night, 7 o'clock, and I I hand this to her. Now, we've been talking. It's a short chat, but she's not going to say no to it. She she takes it, and she looks at it. She says, oh, I live close to that place. She said, you guys are busy all the time. I said, Megan, but we're always going to have a spot for you. We're always going to have a spot for you. What she did next surprised me. She pulled out her own track. (laughs) Have a good one. Pastor Joyner wrote this track. She pulled this out. And she said, she said, it must be the thing of the day. Someone already gave me this today. I said, Megan, God's got a message for you. It's not that hard. Pray talk to people, tell them about Jesus. And you know what happens is God brings you great joy. Now, if your life's a mess today, Christian, 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 if your life's a mess today and you're depressed and life is drama, and you know, you just need to start helping others. When you help others, your depression goes away. But if you really want to help people, if you really want to help people, you want to tell them about Jesus Look look with me in your notes. There is real joy in sharing the gospel. Not only are you helping others, but you're helping yourself both now and for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much to send your son to die for us. Thank you that heaven is our home and that we have great joy no matter what our circumstances are. Help us to take our eyes off of ourselves Off of our troubles and trials and put our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ help us to see others the way you see them help us to love them by plowing and planting the seed of the gospel and sharing the good news of Christ and now with our with our heads bowed with our eyes closed if you'd say Pastor Wendell I I am saved I I have been born again if I died today I know I would go to heaven if you have that confidence And assurance that heaven is your home you're not ashamed to be called a Christian would you put your hand up for just a moment all over heads are bowed eyes are closed I know that Christ is my Savior God bless you you can put your hands down it looks like most of you put your hand up but let me ask you today if you're here today you you think you're a Christian you hope you're a Christian but you're not sure if you have doubts God God is extending an invitation for you to come to him today it's not getting baptized it's not joining the church. It's receiving the gift of eternal life. It's asking God to forgive you. It's, it's calling upon the name of the Lord, which the Bible says, then you shall be saved. If you've never done that or if you have doubt, God brought you for this moment to receive his gift. Maybe you raised your hand, but you know in your heart you have doubts. Would you like to pray with me today? My prayer will not save you, but you can pray right where you're seated and call upon the Lord and receive this wonderful gift. Would you pray with me now? Anyone at all? I'm not sure that I'm saved. I want to be saved. I want to pray with you right now. Would you raise your hand for just a moment? I would like to trust Christ as my Savior. Just hold your hand up anywhere in this auditorium. Hold it up high for just a moment. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? You may put your hands down. Anyone else, I'd like to pray with you today. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, ma'am. Pray with me right now from your heart. You can pray silently. You can pray sincerely. God will hear the prayer of your heart. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. I receive Jesus Christ today. Thank you for saving me. With our heads bowed, with their eyes closed, Christ, may I ask you, have you been baptized? If not, why not? Maybe you're hearing it for the first time that the first step of obedience after being saved is to be baptized? Are you willing to say, God, God, today I make the promise I will be baptized before the end of this year? Christian, is there someone that you know that doesn't know that you're a Christian? You haven't shared your faith. You You haven't spoken the truth in love. You can't have great joy unless you share that wonderful news with others. Would you make that promise this week, that relative, that friend, that coworker? I'm going to be a witness, I'm going to share a word, a testimony, a tract, an invite to come to church, whatever it takes to not be a secret disciple. Father, now we pray you bless in our invitation time. Help each one of us to be responsive, to say yes to the Spirit of God's promptings in our life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we stand together, we'll sing a song of invitation this morning, My Jesus, I Love Thee. As we sing, if you want to speak to a pastor, a pastor's wife, just step right out and come down. We'll meet you down front. If you want to pray the altar, whatever the need, you come as we sing in the first verse.
1: And aren't you glad for the faithfulness of our God? When Jesus Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, He meant it, and He does not, thank God. For his goodness and certainly his faithfulness. It's good to see you here tonight. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. And um, thank you for allowing us to come. Pastor, thank you for the invitation. And it's a privilege to be able to be here. um, Today, especially with the uh, mission's emphasis. And uh, my heart was blessed um, by the stories and the vision and the opportunities that the missionaries that we heard from tonight are having and will continue to have in the future. And I do trust, honestly, as someone who travels and meets people on a regular basis and has um, short-time connections as far as face-to-face, like like missionaries would with churches back home, even if they're from a church, um, the value of knowing that somebody is praying for you uh, is something that goes far beyond. Honestly, and I'm not just saying this for the sake of saying it, but it goes beyond any dollar amount that you could ever that you could ever put on anything. To know that there are people that uh, love you and care about you and think of you and bring your name before the throne of grace is really an encouragement and blessing. So do please grab one of the prayer cards that that these folks have offered and put it in a place where you'll see it. And then as often as God brings them to your mind, talk to the Lord on their behalf, and I know they will appreciate it. For those uh, of them who are going to be traveling over the next little bit, um, Traveling Mercies, there's crazy drivers out here. You guys know this and um, that God will provide their needs and just, just anticipating what God is going to do through their lives and ministry as he already has and will continue to. We're going to be in the book of Luke tonight. If you have your Bible, turn with me, please, to Luke. And we're going to take just a couple minutes and look at a truth. Now, this is the first time that we've had the privilege of being able to... Um, to be here. And so real briefly, this is not the reason why we've gathered together, but just real quickly, I'll tell you about who we are just in case we don't get the opportunity to meet after the service. My name is Tim Thompson. Pastor mentioned that already. And then my wife, Brittany, she and I have been married uh, for 16 years and Strike that, 17 years. It's the second time I've done that. That's really, really bad. We've been married for 17 years. God's blessed us with three boys, Seth, Samuel, and Asher. And we travel around the United States and um, preach God's word in different churches. I'm an evangelist. And so most often we're preaching in revival meetings or else evangelistic outreaches or in family conferences. Those are the ministries that God has opened up for us, and we're very grateful to um, be able to do that and glad to be able to be here with you all or y'all or you or you's guys, wherever you're from originally, you'll, you'll get it, all right? Hey, most often when um, we look at a passage of Scripture when I'm privileged to preach, I invite folks to stand to show our public respect for the Scriptures. However, I'm telling you that because tonight I'm not going to ask you to. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stay seated because I'm going to read a larger number of verses than what I normally do. We're going to start in Luke chapter 1 and begin in verse number 5. And I'm going to read through uh, all the way down to verse number 37. Now, I tell you that because. Um, that's why I'm having you stay seated. Secondly, because you have to make a determination when a preacher reads more than two verses, you have to predetermine that you're going to pay attention for longer than that. And I get it. Now I'll do my best to read it in such a way so, so that, um, it, it keeps you engaged. But, um, My voice is not going to be as interesting as whatever it is that's going on in your imagination right now. So just determine that you're going to listen for the entire time. Basically, we come into the story that that predates the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 5. So follow along with me, if you will, please. The Bible says... There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. He was of the course of Abia and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. So we have Zacharias and Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They walked in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Um, They were blameless. They had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both now well stricken in years. Somebody give me a three letter word that means well stricken in years. That's what it means. All right. And it came to pass that while Zacharias executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot or his job was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. You'll have joy and gladness. Many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall return to the Lord their God and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife uh, well stricken in years. And the angel answering, uh, answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb, not able to speak, until the days that these until the day rather that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. And when he came out, he couldn't speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. That is, he attempted sign language. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou hast found favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. Now verse number 37 is where we're going to key in. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Listen again. For with God nothing shall be impossible. If I give the reference, will you read it with me? Luke 1:37. For with God... Nothing shall be impossible. And so, Father, we come to you, the God of the impossible, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, asking you, please, to impress on our hearts the truths that this verse holds and the significance that it has as a result of where it falls, when it's said, the context around it. May it impact our hearts, our minds, our lives, our decisions May it impact every part of us from this day forward. Holy Spirit of God, I need your help. I know it. I confess my inability to convince anyone of anything that's going to do them any good and certainly affect eternity. But you, Holy Spirit of God, can. You can turn on the lights, and I'm asking you to. Please help us to get it. And may it impact our lives. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. As human beings, all of us are limited as to what we can and, and cannot do. Um, this is this is true physically, isn't it? Um, we have limitations as to what we can do. And anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon before? Have you? Okay, the Grand Canyon is significant. Brittany and I and the kiddos, because of traveling, we get to see a lot of neat things. The canyon is one of those awe-inspiring when you see it it's almost surreal where you can't even it doesn't it doesn't even look like it's actually there it's almost like that's just a backdrop if you come into the south rim of the Grand Canyon you look across to the north rim you're looking across a span uh, expanse of 12 or 13 miles You can see down to the Colorado River, snaking through the canyon, and it's down 5,000 feet, almost an entire mile, it's incredible. Now this may surprise you, but in my current physical condition, it would not be possible for me to jump from the south rim to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. I mean, even if I were to get in the best shape of my life and uh, take lessons from the greatest jumping coaches, buy the best jumping clothes, whatever those may be. If I go to the canyon and back up 300 yards from the edge of the canyon and then run as hard as I can, as fast as I can, reach heights never before gotten to by humankind, and plant my foot perfectly on the edge of the canyon and leap with all my power. You know how far I would make it? 5,000 feet. 5,000 feet. Boing, 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 and splat. Why? Well, because you'd say, well, Tim, it's impossible to jump 12 miles across. Well, obviously, that is true. Physically, there are things that we can't do. As you get a little bit older, you find that there are more and more physical things that you can't do. You recognize your limitations um, just a little bit more and a little bit more. Um, Emotionally, um, anybody ever have a mom who said something along the lines of, I have had it up to here with you? Among other things that my mom may have been saying when she said that to my brothers, um, she she was saying, basically, I have reached my limit of what I'm going to take from you. Emotionally, I cannot take any more from you. I'm I'm assuming that she never made it any farther because we're all still alive. But uh, you understand what what my mom was saying, and perhaps yours did as well. When the Bible says in Luke 1.37 that with God nothing shall be impossible... It's in contrast with what we as human beings can expect from ourselves. We're limited, God is not. We are not able, God is. We don't have wisdom, God does. He's a big God that we serve. Now specifically this verse Luke 137 comes at the end of two stories that are connected where God shows himself to be the God of the impossible. Quickly, um, I don't know if you're used to doing this on Sunday night or not, but quickly, somebody just out loud, tell me, what is the first story? How does God show himself to be the God of the impossible in the first story that we read in in Luke 1, beginning in verse number 5? How many of you will not answer no matter what I ask you to say? (laughs) Bunch of Pennsylvanians, good grief. Okay, I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, okay, so in Luke 1, beginning in verse number 5, we begin to read about uh, Zacharias and Elizabeth. And Elizabeth conceives, and that's pretty amazing because Elizabeth was what? Well stricken in years, people. <laughs> Well-stricken in years or older, but, but there's something that's even more significant along with that, that that makes it so so that it's surprising to everybody that she conceives. Why? She's old, but also, okay, she's barren. So in Luke 1, beginning of verse number 5, we see that the barren conceives, and this is significant. This, this goes beyond what mankind could do. We're talking about in the days when um, she wasn't even able to Google her problem. But I'm certain that she she tried every route and went to the doctors and tried everything she could in order to try to have a child. We know that Zacharias and Elizabeth prayed about having a child, but she could not. And now she's old and she's barren, and the Bible says that she conceived. Now let me ask you, why does she conceive? And the answer is because with God... Nothing shall be impossible. He's a big God. Next door, well, let me give you a lead in, okay? Because this will help you. The first way God shows himself in this passage to be the God of the impossible is that the barren conceives. The second way God shows himself to be the God of the impossible is that the well done class. Good, okay. The virgin conceives. Now, forgive me, but if the ver- barren conceiving is an impossibility that takes place, then the virgin conceiving is really impossible. I mean, even, even today's time, it's true that a scientist with a well stocked laboratory may be able to take all the, the components of an egg and build a chicken egg, but they cannot put life in that egg without God giving it first because God is the giver of life. And here, a virgin who's espoused, engaged to Joseph, but she's not played fast and loose. She's not been unfaithful, and she conceives. The virgin conceives. And the reason why the virgin conceives is because with God, nothing shall be impossible. He's a big God. Okay, but real quickly, there's one other impossibility that takes place in this passage, and if you're not careful, you miss it, and it really is the whole reason for the passage. The barren conceiving is significant. The virgin conceiving is significant. But I want to show you something just quickly. Look look back at verse number um, 13 of Luke 1, where the angel says to Zacharias, Your prayer is heard, your wife's going to bear a son, call his name John. Next several verses. You'll have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord and drink neither wine nor strong drink, shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Okay, so the announcement of John coming, there's significance with it. Now, verse verse number 17 grabs my attention. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Okay, when the angel announces this to Zacharias, He is quoting an Old Testament passage that was a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. If you've heard anything about Old Testament Jews before Jesus Christ came... Every Old Testament Jew who loved Jehovah God begged God that they would be able to be alive when the Messiah came. This was the heart cry of every, child, every every lover of Jehovah. Let me be alive when your consolation comes. Let me be living when your Messiah comes. And when the angel says to Zacharias, your son is going to come in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, he is in essence telling you, him that the greatest miracle of all miracles, the greatest impossibility of all impossibilities that God was going to send his son to earth to take away the sins of the world was getting ready to take place. So that in my mind when Zacharias who was a priest and knew the Old Testament and would have known this prophecy heard this that he should have had a Baptocostal fit of rejoicing in regards to the fact that he was going to be alive when the Messiah came and his son was going to be the one who played or prepared the way for the Messiah to come. But was that um, Zacharias' response? So here's the angel. You're going to have a son. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. This is great. The Messiah is coming. Greatest miracle of all miracles. This is wonderful. God's sending his son. And Zacharias says, But I'm old, and my wife is no spring chicken anymore. So if you look deep into the language, the original language, what you find is that the angel picked up Zacharias by the toga and slapped him across. No, he didn't really. But if I had been the angel, that's what I would have been tempted to do. Because Zacharias, now please get this. It's the point of the message. Zacharias missed the significance of what God was doing because he was focused on what physically seemed to be impossible or difficult for him. Fast forward six months, basically the same thing. The angel comes in, hail thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee. How can I have a child? Oh. You're going to have a son. He's going to be the son of the highest. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever of his kingdom. There shall be no end. And Mary says, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Be it unto thine handmaid, even as thou hast said. It's not what she says, is it? She says, hmm. How is this going to work? Uh, seeing I know not a man. I, 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 I mean, we're engaged, but we've not yet consummated the marriage. How can this work? Now, I believe that Mary's question was probably a question of how is this supposed to how is this supposed to work? Are we supposed to get married or what? But still, now listen again. Please get it. The significance of what God was doing was missed because Mary and Zacharias. Both were totally consumed with what was pressing against them at the moment. What seemed impossible or difficult. Okay. Now, before we're too too hard on Zacharias and Mary, I think probably far too often we ourselves fall into the same category. See, here's here's the deal. I think very often God is trying to do something of eternal significance in our lives. And sometimes in order to do that, he brings situations into our lives that can cause pain or difficulty. And if we're not careful, we live our lives looking for an opportunity to get out of the situation. Even sometimes praying, God, deliver me from this situation. Please get me out from underneath this when all the time God is trying to work through this to do something greater, something bigger, something more eternal. And don't come away tonight thinking that the Brother Tim thinks it's wrong for you to pray to be delivered from difficult situations. No, take your request to God, ask Him for deliverance, fine. But before you beg God for deliverance, just consider the fact that it's very possible that God may be doing something much higher and much more eternal In fact, here's a prayer request that I've begun to pray and maybe I can encourage you to do the same thing. I've begun to ask God, God, would you please give me your vision? Help me to see things as you see them, to be aware of the fact that you may be working things uh, that are far more eternal than what I face right now. Let me give you two quick illustrations and our time is done. Number one, Made-up illustration, just pretend. Let's say you're driving between here um, and just about anywhere, and uh, it's middle of the night, and you get to a place where there's no cell phone reception, which are a lot of places around here, actually. And you're driving, and, and all, you don't have cell phone reception, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, you, you hear the all-too-familiar kathwump, kathwump, kathwump of a flat tire. And so you pull over to the side of the road. There's nobody around, no cell phone reception. And when you pull over, you think, oh, no, I, pull, I pulled the spare tire out of my car. I don't, have, I don't have the tire. I don't have a jack. Oh, no. God, please, God, please help me. God, please, please help. You know more than get done saying, God, please help me. And a pickup truck pulls up behind you. Do you guys have um, rednecks in Pennsylvania? Do you have something besides rednecks in Pennsylvania? Then no. So there, here's this guy in a pickup truck, and in the, back, in the back of his truck, he has like five spare tires. He lives for this moment. He gets out of the truck, and he says, hey, you got a flat tire? And you say, yeah. And so he says, I think I have a tire that will fit that. And I got a jack. Let me change that for you. Sure enough, he has the right tire. He gets out his jack, jacks up the car, puts on the new tire, puts your flat tire in the back of your trunk and then jumps in his vehicle and takes off. You get back in your car and you, oh man, God, you delivered Daniel from the lion's den. You brought the three Hebrew children out of the fiery furnace. The Israelites were delivered from the hand of Pharaoh and now you have delivered me, God. You brought me a tire. Thank you, God, for bringing me a tire. And God in heaven says, no, I didn't bring you a tire. I brought you the soul of a searcher. Okay, but do you see how easy it is when we're touched with something physical to go, God, get get me out. Please, God, I don't want, God, please get me out of this. When all the time there may be something far more eternal that God is doing. Zacharias and Mary missed the coming of the Messiah. No miracle exceeds that. The barren conceiving, the virgin conceiving, the coming of the Messiah? Because they were focused on what physically seemed to be impossible. Okay. Last illustration, true story. Our family has a friend by the name of Karen who lives in Florida who as long as we've known her, which is about 14 years, has had cancer. She doesn't have good days. She always takes oxygen with her. Um, She's just a little bit older than we are. She has two children, a husband. We as a family for years prayed for Karen every day, and we would ask God, God, we don't know what you want to do, but we would love it if you'd wipe the cancer out of Karen's body. Karen's prayer request was this. God, I'd like to live long enough to see my children trust Christ, and I'd like to see my doctor trust Christ. Well, Karen's children are now an older teenager and young adult, they both trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Karen's doctor was a third generation, I'm sorry, Karen's doctor, lady doctor, um, was a Jehovah's Witness. So just in case you don't know, they, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the God. They're not, they're not Christians, they're not saved, but they're very indoctrinated in what they think. She was married, the doctor was, to a third generation Jehovah's Witness. So this was, this was in there. One time, Karen had an appointment with her and things didn't look good. Karen's supposed to have died a number of times. And the doctor looked at her and said, Karen, it doesn't look good. I don't see how you're going to live much longer. And Karen said, well, I know, but it's okay. And the doctor said, Karen, you have something I don't have. What is it? And she preached on to her Jesus. Her doctor trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Gave a Bible to the doctor's husband. A year, he read, For a year, he read the book of John. A year later, he trusted Christ as Savior. Just a quick interesting tidbit to the story. The doctor and her husband moved to the Northeast. Karen's in Florida. Karen was having struggle. The doctor flew down to see Karen. Karen was super excited because it was on Resurrection Sunday, and she was going to come and be with her at church uh, on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, when the doctor landed, got in a car on the way over, she was struck in an accident and died. Okay, now let me ask you a question. Do you think Karen would like to be rid of her cancer? Think she'd like to see her grandchildren? Yeah, absolutely. Do you think she would trade not having had cancer for having had it? Not on your life. Why? Why? Because Karen has God-vision. Just being aware of the fact that God may be doing something greater, bigger, than what physically presses against us. Now, friends, you and I may not, you may, but we may not face um, cancer or a flat tire. But on a fairly regular basis, we have um, coincidental bump-ins with the neighbor or with an old friend. Or we're in a long line and somebody in front of us is very talkative and we'd rather just be quiet or um, you see somebody that you went to school with around town and you may be thinking oh it's just a it's not that big a deal let let me tell you i'm not saying i'm not we serve a big god and that god orchestrates things on purpose so may i suggest to you may i challenge you to consider when something pushes against you impresses you maybe even feels uncomfortable and hurts a little bit before you say god deliver me which is a fine prayer to pray but before you say god deliver me why don't you just start out by saying god help me to see things as you see them and if you're doing something more eternal then help me to see what it is and be a part of it the bearing conceived The virgin conceived, the Christ was born. May God help us to have His vision to see what it is He may be doing in and through our lives, whatever circumstances may come our way. Now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me here this evening? While you bow your heads and close your eyes, the the challenge has been um, short and fairly pointed but it's truth is life uh, it's life changing so i'd like just like to ask this i wonder how many tonight would say brother tim i want to i want to live with this mindset i want to live with this prayer request being at the forefront of my heart and mind on a regular basis I want to begin to ask God on a regular basis, God, give me your vision. Help me to see what it is that you are doing. And not to immediately recoil from everything that pushes against me, but to recognize the fact that God may be doing something far greater than what, than what I may see. I wonder how many tonight would join me by saying, Brother Tim... I want tonight to be a turning point. Tonight, I want to begin to ask God to give me his vision. It's not something I've been aware of. It's not something I've been asking. But I want tonight, I want that to begin. If that's true for you tonight, would you slip up your hand with mine and say, that's a prayer request. I need to start. Okay. Well, my goodness. God bless you. A number of hands. Real real quickly, I have not preached on the gospel, that is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. But is there someone here who would say by an upraised hand, Tim, um, I already know about Christ, but I've never accepted him. I've never received him. And I need to. I want to. Um, And you'd say by an upraised hand, would you please pray for me? I don't know, you might say, that that my sins are forgiven. I don't know that I'm on my way to heaven, but I'd like to know that or I have questions about it. If that's true for you, would you slip up your hand? Again, I, I haven't preached specifically on it, but it may be that you've heard it somewhere else. I just want to make sure. I never want to miss an opportunity to help someone with that. Okay, then let's do this. Everybody look right up here, would you please? Um, again, because of the number of people that have raised their hands, here's what I'm gonna encourage us to do. In just a minute, um, I'm gonna pray for those that have raised their hands. When I'm finished, Brittany's just gonna play through a stanza of an invitation hymn on the piano. will not sing, you don't need a song book. If God dealt in your heart, you raised your hand, um, one of two things. If you're physically able, I'd like, to, I'd like to invite you to just turn and kneel where you are and just say to God, God, I want to begin living my life asking you, help me to see things as you see them. Just just start now. God, give me your vision, please. And then if you're not physically able to turn and kneel, God knows that. But bow your heart, your head where you are, and just tell the Lord the same thing. When you're finished, um, if you're on your knees, return to your seat. When everyone's returned, pastor will come and close the service as he sees fit. Right? Father, I love you. Thanks for being such a great God. You are the God of the impossible. Now, Lord, please hear and answer the prayers of your children as they come before you. In Jesus' name I ask. As Brittany begins to play, God's dealt in your heart. May I invite you to turn and kneel and just tell him?